I'm in a section of Scripture that I'm actually getting uh, some calluses on my knees. I prayed for every one of you who are here today that the Lord would bring exactly those who needed to hear this here today. So, enjoy. You are going to have a divine appointment. What can I say? We are... Actually, in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6, and the letter to the Hebrews. We'll go back to Hebrews, but I want to show you why we're going to Hebrews. 5 and 6, 2 Corinthians 13, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Father, I beg your throne this morning that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I think about the Corinthians and I think about the church in the United States. And Father, I beg your mercy, but I beg for your intervention. Help us, Lord, to hear. In Christ's name, amen. We are in a section of the context which begins in verse 20 of chapter 12 and runs through the end of the letter. In it is a process that theologians would call sanctification. How do I grow into the image of Christ? You were saved, be conformed into the image of Christ. That's why you were saved. And if you're not, that's not happening, then you have a problem. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, I behold as in a mirror to see what? Christ being transformed from glory to glory. That's what sanctification is. Romans chapter eight tells me that you were saved to be conformed into the image of Christ. One of the things that I have seen in 30 some odd years of walking with my king is that there's five kinds of people cruising around. Okay? There are those people who are not saved, could care less about being saved, and don't want no part of it. Okay? There are those people who are saved and confident in their salvation. There are those who are not yet saved. There are those who are saved, but are not confident in their salvation. And then there's a fifth group. Those who are convinced they're saved, and they're not. That's what I'm dealing with right now. Because if I look at the process of sanctification, one of the things that is mandatory, are you genuine? Now, let me tell you something. If you'd have been in Jerusalem when Paul got his letters to arrest Christians, okay, and he headed for Damascus, and then you saw him after Damascus, there's no doubt in your mind something has happened. And I'm trying to figure out how we have bought into the fact that you can be saved and nobody knows it. I don't know how that works. And, you know, and I've heard all the excuses, but I can't find a biblical precedence for that. I had a very dear friend. He's in glory now. And we used to meet at my house 
every Thursday for Bible studies. We just took different, sometimes topics, sometimes books and all that. And I remember him talking, uh, uh, I had known Ed for well longer than I've known anybody uh, in this church, uh, even my wife. I had known him and we had kind of done some things together, we'll call it that. And uh, I had come to salvation and he, uh, he came a little later. And when he came, I remember we were sitting at my, de- uh, at my our kitchen table one day. And he says, how can you be sure that you're saved? And you know what I found out about that? Only people who are truly saved would even ask that question. That's ironic, don't you think? How can you know for sure that you're saved? Why? Only saved people ask that question. Right? Because anybody else don't really care. That's what we're looking at. Are you genuine? I've been the pastor of this church for almost 21 years. This is the only church that I've ever attended in my entire life. Okay? This is it. I didn't start here. The church that I... uh, was baptized in, burned down, and I don't know what that means. But, so I can't go to it anymore. No. I can tell you honestly and emphatically, there's times that I'm like, am I really saved? And then I can think about it, where I was, and I can say, yeah, dummy, you are. Okay. I would like for you to kind of cruise over to Hebrews now because Hebrews is where I'm going because Paul has challenged the Corinthians, the church that he planted, he grew, he trained up to examine themselves, to see if they are of the faith. Are you real? Are you saved? So I'm going to ask you today, are you? Are you saved? And then I'll ask you the second part. You guys know how I'm sneaky with my questions. How do you know? And then the third part is, does anybody else? Okay, because Jeremiah tells me that the heart is deceptive and wicked and who can know it? We can deceive ourselves. No! Yeah, you can. We have looked at uh, two warnings out of the letter of Hebrews, chapter 3, 12 to 15, and chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2. I want to go back to chapter 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, let us fear while a promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to have come short. Who's he writing to? Bible experts. They know what the word says. They know what it says. For indeed, we've had the good news preached to us just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them. They had the intellectual ascension. Okay? They understood it. They had heard the gospel. They had said in church, I'm part of a church. Why? Because that's where I'm supposed to be. I go to church. I'm involved every once in a while. It takes a lot of time sometimes. The church seems to never shut their doors. But let me take you to a familiar text. 
It'll be familiar to some of you, maybe not to others. But it's something that we really, every one of you that is sitting here today had better really listen to what this says. Because it's written, it's the word of God. And if God is writing to Jewish believers who have an intellectual ascension to the gospel, but they don't have faith. Listen to what he says. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. In the case of those who once have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the age to come. And then have fallen away. Right? You know what he says next? It is impossible. Did you see what that said? It is impossible. To renew them again to repentance. Since they again crucify themselves to themselves. The son of God and put him to open shame. Man, if that ain't one of the most staggering verses in all of Scripture, I don't know what is. They have tasted, they have seen, they've been enlightened, they've heard, they've sat in church, they've been active in church, they did everything that the church thing says they're supposed to do. And then they fall away. Did you hear what he said? It is impossible. Listen, if you're not saved today, your best bet, stay out of church. Bet you never thought you'd hear a pastor say that, huh? Why? Because you can get yourself to a position where it is impossible for you to be saved. I was talking to a Russian pastor years ago, and he said, what you have done in the United States is that you have inoculated the people from the gospel. You have an easy believism. Walk an aisle, say a prayer, you're saved. That is not salvation. There's nowhere in the Bible does it say, say a prayer and you'll be saved. Nowhere in there. You ain't going to find it. Doesn't say in there you got to walk an aisle or you'll be saved. Doesn't say that either. This text. Now, I want to show you what sets this text up out of Hebrews 6. Okay. Verse 1 of 6 says, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ. Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Instructions about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. This we will do if God permits. See, he's, he's addressing what I call the fence sitters. Okay? They hear it. They're impressed with it. Okay, it makes sense. But that's all they do with it. They never move beyond the elementary. They never move beyond the fact, you know what, you're a sinner. Okay, I'll go with that. Well, you can't save yourself. Okay, I'll go with that. All right, I'll do that. But Christ died for your sins. I'm in. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Son of God, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. That's cool. I can handle that. But it never becomes faith. It never becomes faith. 
It is a bunch of information. That's all it is. Superficially involved with the church. I give to the church. But they have not come to faith in Christ. The word in the Greek is pistos. Pistos. Okay? It has nothing to do with the elements of salvation. It has to do with the subject of salvation. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference. Okay? The elements of salvation is, well, you know, I prayed to him. Um, you know, I got baptized. You know, I took the Lord's table and I didn't fall over dead like some of them Corinthians. Okay, so see, that's the element of it. The subject of it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. You know what that means? He's not asking you for opinion. He doesn't ask you what you think about it. He is the ruler. It is his way or the highway. And if you go look at the church today, you will not see that. I said in Baku, Azerbaijan last year when I was there, and this guy came in late to our first class uh, on Monday morning. And he kept talking like this. And I kept thinking, what is it? Some kind of what's the matter with this dude? So I get ready to go to lunch, or we're getting ready to have lunch together. I'm teaching every pastor in the country, every pastor in the country, 21. Okay? And so I sat him down and I said, uh, why are you talking so funny? <laughs> and he said, Secret Service has come into his church on Sunday and arrested him for preaching the gospel. It took me to jail and broke my jaw. They let me out this morning. I wanted to make sure I came to this class because I was curious about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Plus, the 21 pastors will help me get enough money together to go to the doctor to get my jaw fixed. How about you? Do you believe in Him? Do you fear God more or man more? I was talking to another pastor. He's got a congregation of 10. And the secret police come in every Sunday, have been for four months. And they want to take everybody's name, get your papers, see who you are. And they're just there to intimidate. I preached there on a Sunday morning. They told me there was five of them sitting in the crowd when I was preaching. Yahoo. Glad you were telling me that when you was taking me to the airport to leave. (laughs) Certain things I just don't want to know about. Let me share with you a quote. This quote has stuck with me for as long as I can remember. And I hope it pierces every one of you. Because the first time I read it, it got me. Here's the quote. Whatever is your greatest joy... And treasure, that is your God. Charles Spurgeon. Okay? Whatever is your greatest joy and treasure, that is your God. 
The writer of Hebrews is exhorting the people to leave the elementary teachings about the Christ and press on to maturity. Listen, if you read through this, you understand, though they were not saved, they had been exposed. Drop down there to verse 4. In case of those who have once been enlightened. You know what that means? They've experienced it. They've been exposed to significant spiritual opportunities. They have been enlightened. They have looked at some of the deeper things. You know, they thought pondered it. You know, maybe I even took a trip to Israel. I saw some really cool stuff. I've heard some cool stuff. You know, I've seen some lives changed. That's kind of impressive. But you know what? My life ain't that bad. Mine doesn't have to be such a drastic change. Really? Just thinking that thought is damnable. Understand the gospel intellectually. Okay? I'm pretty sure in this room, everyone understands the gospel intellectually. Okay? Although, I, I get spooked every once in a while because uh, some of the pastors here in town want to have a conference on how to share your faith. And I'm sitting there going, you got to have a conference to teach your people how to share their faith. you got a bigger problem. Okay, because I remember a pastor came to our church one time and he says, well, how do you make your people all bring their Bibles and open them and follow you around? And I said, well, I don't know. That's just the way we've been doing it for all the years I've been here. He says, can you come up and teach my people how to do that? And I looked at him and said, you need to get them saved. Because if they're not willing to do that, I mean... When you went to college, or if you went to college, I, I loved college. It's, I don't understand why we had classes. But you had to go buy a book, whatever you were going to take. Okay? Why? Because they're going to teach something out of that book. Well, why do you go to church for? Okay? Why wouldn't you bring your book? I mean, it might be interesting to see if the guy's lying to you or not. I mean, because I see a lot of guys preaching the scriptures and they've never read the verse in front of it or the verse below it. And you're like, man, you missed that. You can't even get farther away. There are those that the writer of Hebrews is talking about that says they have understood the gospel intellectually. But he says next, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. You know what I notice about that? They didn't eat it. I found thy word and I did feast. They've tasted it. That's it. They didn't eat it. They didn't devour. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. Even says here, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's a fascinating text, verse. That section right there. 
They're in the church. They've not committed to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet they have seen non-salvation benefits. What? How can that be? I thought you would never ask. If you remember some of you who were with us a few years ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 14 says this. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. That's why he wants, if the unbelieving spouse is willing to stay with the believer, stay together. Why? It's for the unbeliever's protection. They are sanctified. It is a benefit of the believer in the unbeliever's life. That's a fascinating thought to me. Because I know that there are situations where the unbeliever leaves and I watch what happens and their lives become a disaster. And you sit there and say, you've left the protection of the Lord. A sanctified home. According to this letter here in Hebrews... They had seen the work of the Holy Spirit. They had witnessed His counsel. They had witnessed healings. They had witnessed miracles, signs and wonders. Chapter 2, remember? It was conformed to us by signs and wonders and healings. They would seen it. They said, wow, look. There's something going on here. Wow. They saw the working of the Holy Spirit through miraculous signs and wonders. And you know what else they probably did? They may have even... Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. I want all of you to think about this for just a second. How many times have you heard a message and it convicted you? Some of you say, I've never been convicted. Today's the day. Okay, do you know that it's possible for an unbeliever to sit in the congregation of the saints and the Holy Spirit convict the unbeliever and they reject? How can that be? Thought you'd never ask. Acts chapter 7, verse 51 Now, this is Stephen. You know what's getting ready to happen, right? Stephen's defending him preaching of the gospel, and they're getting ready to kill him. All right? And this is what he says. And this, if you got people with a bunch of rocks wanting to kill you, I'm not sure you should say this, but he did anyway. Here's what he said. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in the heart and ears always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Shazam. Okay. They reject it. 
How many times have I, how many times has God broken your heart and you wept over your transgression against the holy God and turned right around and did it again? But you know what is funny? The second time around, it doesn't hurt as bad, does it? And Peter says, yep, you can sear your conscience as with an iron. It's, it's a picture of what a hide looks like when it's been branded. They've tasted the good word and the powers of the age to come. Again, they did not eat. They tasted. How many? I, I wonder right now, right here, how many of you have only tasted? Want me to challenge you a little more on it? How many times you crack this book open besides this morning? How many? And everybody said, well, you read every day, but that's your job. I was reading every day before I got my job. Probably the reason the guy says, hey, you need a job. And I, I'll be honest with you. I, most of you know my testimony. I sought 35 years ago to find a contradiction in this book so I could get these people to leave me alone. And I tell everybody right now, I read it every day and I'm still looking. Because everybody tells me, well, it contradicts itself. I'm going to keep looking because I can't find it yet. Listen, if you don't ever open a Bible except for Sunday morning, you are in a very, very dangerous place. You are only tasting of the word. And everybody says, well, yeah, but you went and took a Greek class and you went and did this. You know what? You have the author indwelling your heart. Have you ever read Macbeth? That's the weirdest thinking story I've ever read in my life. And I would like to set old Billy Shakespeare down and say, what is that? Because I seen Mel Gibson do Macbeth and I thought, if Mel Gibson can do Macbeth, I'll understand it. Well, that was still a stupid. And so if I get to see old Bill Shakespeare, I'm going to say, was you doing LSD or something? What was you thinking, dude? I had to do a, a senior paper on that years ago. And to this day, I'm traumatized over that story. But you know what? When it comes to the Word of God, I got the Holy Spirit indwelling me. And there's times that I read it and I go, Lord, I got no clue what you're telling me here. And there's times he says, you'll learn it when it comes face to face to you. And you know what? Sure enough, there it comes wandering through. They had seen stuff. Chapter 2 of Hebrews, verse 4. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. They had tasted of the good word of God. Of the age to come. They had seen the miraculous gifts. They had seen the work of Spirit. 
But you know what? I want to share with you something here that just puzzles me in this day and age. There's something that should be noted here. Chapter 2, verse 4, where it says that they had seen all of this stuff. Do you realize that none of those terms, signs, wonders, miraculous, anywhere in Scripture, none of those terms, anywhere in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, nowhere in Scripture do they refer to salvation. You ever think about that? Because we're in an age right now that we want signs and wonders. Show me a magic trick. Well, gee whiz. I thought we were to walk by faith. So if you've got to keep showing me a magic trick, what are you telling me? You ain't got no faith. You may have a bigger problem than seeing a magic trip because, you know what, I read that the end of the age, when Lucifer takes over, guess what? He does magic tricks. And everybody thinks he's God. None of those terms, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, none of those refer to salvation. You think about it. Jesus' ministry for three years, death and disease stopped in Israel. And yet, they crucified him. Uncommitted people never understand the disastrous position that they are in. They don't understand it. And that is more detrimental. You would be better off not to go to church. Because the more truth you're exposed to, the more truth you're accountable for. And that's part of your condemnation. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do signs and wonders in your name? And Jesus' response is, I never knew you. Paul told Timothy that men will heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. You know the scary part of that? There's enough there to be heaped. I mean, I know that men want their ears tickled. I know that. I've seen that all my life. Ever since I've walked with the king. I see churches. It used to be uh, multi-activity facilities. So you can take all the chairs out and play basketball or volleyball. Why? You're going to draw more people. Okay, now it's Entertainment City. There's a church that I've seen that has a film crew that travels around and makes movies so they can show it to the congregation. And that's here in Castle Rock. Okay? So I know people want their ears tickled. But the tragedy is there's enough people out there that you can heap to themselves teachers that will fulfill their desire. Uncommitted people never understand the disastrous place that they are. Brothers and sisters, this ain't no game. I don't think we understand that. We're more concerned about politicians, our 401k, the stock market, or whether I get... I wonder if Walmart's got that new big TV on sale. 
What am I going to drive now? I need a new car. I need a job. I wonder what I can do for a living. You know, maybe I need a new spouse. That's what our concern is. And I told you what Spurgeon's quote was. Whatever is our greatest joy and our greatest treasure, that is our God. That is our God. After experiencing so many spiritual benefits, they fall away. And the tragedy in that is the same thing that he was dealing with the Corinthians. Test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you are of the faith. You ever thought about that? Well, no, I walked now. You know what? I was in a jail cell on my knees, no altar call or anything. I just knew that there was a God and I had made a mess of it. Save me. I didn't make no deals. And you know what? He changed my heart. I really wish there would have been an easier way to do it. But I'll take it. And I know people right now. <laughs> I went back for my what was it, 40th reunion or something like that in, in the summer. And <laughs> all of these, you just had to know me. Okay. They were amazed at what I was doing. Absolutely amazed. Stunned. Stunned. I ran I was at a cousin's funeral in September, run into one of my old aunts, and she said, uh, uh, you know that your grandma prayed every day that one of the guys in our family would become a Baptist preacher. And then she smiles at me real big. She says, she didn't ever dream to be you. <laughs> and I said, me either. All right? Why? There's a change. I know there might change. Listen, people, you... You have no idea what my heart was. I do. I do. There are those who are experiencing so many benefits and they fall away because of the benefits that they have received. It is impossible to renew them to repentance. Did you understand what he just said there? I've given you all the truth. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've seen lives changed. And you reject it. There's nothing else left. Absolutely nothing else left. Guess what? You're doomed. You're doomed to hell. There's nothing else going to be done. You will be able to see him on judgment day and say, hey, you, um, you know, I, you know, I just was, I was busy. He will say, away from me. I don't know you. If you have rejected elementary principles, you've rejected Jesus Christ, you've rejected his authority in your life. And you've been exposed to it. There's nothing left. Despite having full understanding of intellectual information, you're done. That kind of an apostate 
is unredeemable. There is no further revelation to give to those who have rejected the full light. Brothers and sisters, that should scare the bejesus out of everybody. That should stun us. Because the Hebrews were biblical scholars. They understood what this thing said. They had seen the miracles. He gives a agricultural illustration in verses 7 and 8. For the ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation, useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But, verse 8, if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. You know what he just said there? There's two kinds of people in the church. Those are taking the blessings of heaven and they're producing what? Thorns and thistles. You will know them by their fruit. Let me ask you a question. What fruit are you known by? Do you ever think about that? What is it that the average person sees in you? Because you know what? That's what I try to tell everybody. My job is, is not as what everybody seems to think it is. It's you are the spiritual leader. No, I am a table waiter. Week after week after week, God prepares information for me. I try to bring it out here and set it down. I can't even make you eat it. I wait tables. I prepare what the Lord gives me week after week after week. I bring it out here. I set it down. And if you don't eat of it, I can't do anything about it. But you know what? You are responsible for the information you've just been given. What a dirty trick, huh? There are two types of soils in the church. And the rain falls on good soil and there's true vegetation grows up and it's useful. But that same rain falls on the bad soil and it is worthless. And that's those who understand the gospel. It's similar to what Jesus' parable of the soils were in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, 18 to 23. I mean, I remember hearing an evangelist one time says, you know what that means? Every time you share the gospel, one out of four, save it. And I'm saying, what? <laughs> no. The gospel goes out and does what it does. It does not come back void. Now it goes out. And people's lives can be changed. They can be redeemed, brought back into the fellowship with God. Some will be condemned by it. It will send them to hell. 
I have no time. I didn't take the time. That's what that verse 8 is. I was busy. I was trying to make a living, Lord. I, if, they were calling for too much commitment. You know how much commitment was called for as a Christian? Oh, I've been saved by grace through faith. No. You've been bought and paid for at a price. You were a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. All right. How many rights does a slave have? Where does a slave file a complaint? Can a slave go on strike? But see, we have completely missed that. And you know what? People look at me and say, well, you sound like a fire and, what is it? Fire and brimstone Baptist. No, I'm a biblicist. Okay, I'm going to tell you what this says. And if you don't like it, take it up with the author. Go for it. I've argued with him before. I'm not afraid to admit that. And I ain't never won. Let me share with you something. There are people, and there might be some in here right now, that says, well, I'm not a bad person. But, you know, I've got some of my shortcomings. That's a funny way of saying, you know, I'm a sinner, but mine are just shortcomings. And I'm doing okay. And you know what? You just condemned yourself if you don't come to true salvation right now. Because this message you will get to hear in your conscience for eternity. That I rejected it. I want to close with a prayer. It's not my prayer. It's Paul's prayer. Because this is what this text is dealing with. There are some, possibly in this room right now, who have an intellectual understanding of what the gospel is. But they've never come to pistas. Faith in the subject. The writer of Romans, Paul writing the Romans said... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Okay, the word confess means I'm in agreement. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. Okay. So first thing you've got to say is who's running your life? Because that's what it means to confess him as Lord. Second thing is. God raising from the dead. If he's only raising the dead, what problem do you have? I mean, he's only going to raise the dead. And you're struggling with what? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I prayed that for you guys all this week. Note, I don't want the eyes of your mind to see it. 
I want the eyes of your heart to see it. The problem with the Hebrews and the Corinthians is that they had intellectual ascension, but it was not in their heart. The heart is where the seat of my emotions are. The heart is where the core of my conscience is. The heart is where I condemn myself or commend myself. That's where the heart is. He says, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened so you understand the hope of his calling. Listen, if you're chasing anything in this world right now, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. In the mid-70s, 1970s, I was making about between five dollars and $750,000 a year cash. There's nothing that I couldn't have anytime I wanted it, anywhere I wanted it, okay? I worked for some wonderful people who showed me how to shelter my money so that the IRS and all these other people didn't figure out what was going on. I had everything that the world offered in spades. Guess what? I was never satisfied. It never fulfilled me. I was 19 years old. I want you to think about that. Because there's some in this room right now that's chasing this world. You know what? It always reminded me of when a dog would chase a car. I wonder what that dog's going to do when he catches it. Okay? Because you know what? You can chase things in this world. And what are you going to do when you catch it? Because you'll move on to something else. I hope that your eyes of your heart will be enlightened. That you will know what is the hope of his calling. And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saint. Do you know right now what your inheritance is? Do you? I have a question that I ask people that try to tell me that they're saved. I'm saved. Really? Yeah, I believe God. Okay. Tell me five things about Jesus. That's it. Five. I've had pastors who couldn't give me five biblical truths about Jesus. Okay. Brothers and sisters... The more truth you are exposed to, the more you are accountable for. Okay? And the world will see it. Voltaire, the philosopher, says, I would be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. Would you show me a redeemed life? And you know what? I would agree with that. There aren't that many. There aren't that many. Brothers and sisters, please... Examine yourself. Test yourself to see if you are of the faith. And listen, if you open your Bible on Sunday morning and that's it, you're in a very dangerous place. Very dangerous place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews. Father, your holy book, your precious bride, your church. Lord, I ask, I beg you, that those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let, them, let us 
those who are truly saved this morning, Father, please, may they be encouraged by this message. Father, those who are discouraged by this message, may they examine to see if they are His, yours. My King, you know the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Every man, woman, and child sitting in this room. Examine us, Lord. Convict us if we're not. Save us if we're not. Father, may your glory shine in your people. That all may know that we are children of you who spoke existence into being. To you, my Lord, my Savior, in Christ's name. Amen.